You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hello and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. Today's episode is sponsored by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On Set. My name is Mary Clark staff writer for the win and you can follow me on twitter at mary c clark i'm here with andrew berkshire nhl analyst for the montreal gazette who you can follow on twitter at andrew berkshire on this thursday edition of the cross check we'll dissect the first look we got at the north division in these playoffs with the edmonton oilers and winnipeg jets we've also got an interview with the stellar rachel dory who's a real treat to talk to and we'll end our and we'll end with our pop culture roulette where i'll talk about something quite close to my heart so andrew before we start off today's show how you doing I'm I'm doing all right. We had um, like I think I told you before about our system to get Dylan behave behaved at night, giving him uh, Pokemon badges. Mm-hmm. Well, he he filled up his badge booklet for the second time today, and he got his prize, which was a stuffed toy Pikachu. When you press the hand, and it says Pikachu, <gasps> and he absolutely lost his mind this morning. He Aww. was so happy. So we had a very very happy fun morning. Oh, that sounds so sweet. Um. I don't really have much else to say um, since the last time we talked. It's just been um, been relaxing, playing some video games. Oh, my um, my best friend's wedding is this upcoming weekend. Um, so I'm going to be enjoying that for sure. I mean, it's going to be um, not like a major, like high key event. He technically is already married. He got married um, last year for, you know, job insurance reasons. But um, they were going to have um, the wedding around this time, even pre-pandemic and stuff. Um, so it's a bit smaller, um, going to be masks on and stuff, even though I bet a lot of people are still are vaccinated and all that. And it's, and like the reception is outside. I think it's going to be pretty hot. So we'll see how, uh, so we'll see how, um, how it goes, but I'm very excited. Um, I'm very, yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited for my best friend. I mean, he's technically already married, but still it'll be a, a treat to watch. So yeah, that that's awesome. Getting back to like a sense of normalcy and celebrating things. That's mm-hmm what we all want right now yeah yeah it's just it's nice because um since he's been my best friend for basically since kindergarten my whole family's invited and i'm very you know like i've no i've known his parents for a very long time so it's just like you know he's been my friend for the longest time and it's just you know it's gonna be emotional it's good but it's gonna be fun because he's a he's a great dude and but after that he leaves to he leaves to go to austria for a postdoc so uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, he's a very busy guy. It, yeah. it, every time I talk to him, he's just always super, super busy. But are are you a wedding crier, Mary? Um, I really haven't been to that many weddings before and only one wedding of like my friends. Um, and I don't think I cried then. That was in October 2019. I just started a new job. So it was I was very overwhelmed. I may have cried a little <laughs> bit. This one I might because my mom is there and my mom cries at everything. So I might cry just because my mom is crying. I'll report back next week uh, when I'm probably <laughs> when I'm probably stupid hungover still from from the wedding. But I'll I'll report back next week to see if I cried. Who knows? It, the emotion of the moment may hit me or the emotion of just, you know, having something normal in the pandemic may hit me. We're not sure yet. So I'm not sure how, how I'm going to go um, this weekend, but we'll see. So, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, though, I'm not going to have much time for hockey, which means I'm not going to have much time to, you know, look at the Canadian teams. But on Wednesday night, we did get our first look at two of the Canadian teams. We still have... Um, the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs, which we'll talk about later in this segment. But on Wednesday, we got our first look at 
the Winnipeg Jets and the Edmonton Oilers, where, and kind of a shocker, at least in my opinion, the Winnipeg Jets won game one by a score of four to one. So. Yeah, that was unexpected. And <laughs> you looking, looking at like how the game went down, it was essentially the nightmare scenario for the Edmonton Oilers, right? Mm-hmm. I, you look at the underlying numbers in the game and the worry that I had for the Oilers was that Mike Smith would turn into a pumpkin and he yeah. didn't quite do that in game one. He was all right, but he was worse than expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jets essentially, you want to keep the game away from special teams, dominate them in even strength. Uh, the Oilers have a, a wicked power play as well. So like, you would expect that to go, but the Jets really, really reined in the Oilers' power play to the point where the game was extremely lopsided at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, the Oilers controlled essentially two-thirds of every metric. Uh, they outdid them in expected goals for two and a half, just over 2.5 to 1.2, and when you add in special teams, it brought the game essentially to even. Uh, the Oilers still had a slight advantage, but overall... That that was not uh, a good scenario for the Oilers, and Connor McDavid specifically was held in check, which is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think we're going to talk about it with Rachel in our interview, but um, yeah, the Jets really held McDavid down. He got, as far as I'm aware, he got two shots, and they were only in the third period. So the Jets were able to hold him and Dreisaitl off the um, score sheet for, I think, only the fifth time in their postseason careers, which sounds wild considering they put up points with regularity and it's just it was like I guess a little bit disheartening if you're an Oilers fan that like it got he got shut down so quickly but Mike Smith didn't help either he only had 18 saves on 20 shots I mean the score was 4-1 I think there was an empty net goal in there too um that really like sealed the deal away from the Oilers so the goaltending for me is the difference in this one because um Connor Hellebuck had 32 saves on 33 shots. The Oilers did their best, I think, to at least try and get shots on net. But Connor Hellebuck was there. And then on the reverse end, uh, the Oilers weren't able to get timely saves when needed from Mike Smith. I mean, he didn't face a lot of shots. But if you don't face a lot of shots, you got to save the shots you see. Um, yeah. And we and we did not see that in game one. And for me, I'm I'm starting to wonder, or, or this, this game one makes me think, are the Oilers about to get halocked? here are they are they about to get you know Connor Hellebuck had game one in his hand and now that we've started off on that foot is it possible that the Oilers will get the door shown to them by Connor Hellebuck here it's definitely possible I think the biggest mismatch in this series uh in favor of the Jets is the goaltending situation right like Mm -hmm. Mike Smith had a great year but I just don't trust him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's he's had a, a history of being very up and down, and he's an older goaltender. So, like, the more games you play, the more chance that he'll wear down. Mm-hmm. And Hellebuck is in his prime and one of the best goaltenders, if not the best goaltender in the entire NHL. So that's, that's the worry, right? But I would assume that the Oilers just have so much firepower at the top end that they're going to break through eventually. Mm-hmm. It's just... They've got to get the power play sorted because they were not good yeah. at all on the power play in game one. And that was a, a huge shocker for me considering how good they were during the regular season. I wonder if this is a situation where the Oilers were rolling so well at the end of the year that they were a little bit overconfident and the long layoff. I was about really to say that break. Them. I was about to say that week break may have um, hurt them because they were rolling at the beginning of or at least at the end of the season. Um, and then what the Canadian teams got basically a week break 
from at least the end of their season to the start of their playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, minus, you know, Vancouver and Calgary, but they're not playing in the playoffs, as we know. Um, and that's done now, right? Like, that's over. We've we finished that, I'm, I'm pretty sure, at this point. So, uh, but, yes, I do think that that break does play a factor because they were rolling, and then they had to sit for a week while they're, you know, while their momentum, I mean... You can say what you will. I know some people believe in the whole momentum thing. I know some people don't think momentum carries from game to game. But I think it does affect at least your mentality. Um, Because sitting for at least a week, I mean, they were practicing and whatnot, but not seeing any game action can definitely, like, not lull you into a false sense of security. But, like, you're, like, jacked up when you win that many times. And, you know, when when you're really rolling and playing games, like, every other night and then suddenly you stop, that definitely has to do something to you. So... Yeah, and it's just a matter of, like, when you have a long layoff, you're not, you don't have that in-game timing, right? Mm -hmm. And some coaches are better at preparing teams than others. There's coaches who are very good at managing the grind of a regular season, and there are coaches that are very good at prepping a team coming into a, a playoff series when they have time to sit down with players and get them playing exactly the way they want to, focusing on key areas. Like, for example, I always bring up Jared Bednar. Mm -hmm. Right. There hasn't been a single playoff series where the Avalanche have had time to prepare where they haven't come out guns blazing. Mm -hmm. And I I look at his preparation. He's clearly a a guy that I would key in on for that, uh, or at least his whole coaching staff. We Mm -hmm. obviously don't know who does what specifically in terms of the minutia for the Avalanche coaching staff. But he seems to me like a very good preparation coach Uh, for all of his faults in the like regular season grind. Uh, Michelle Terrian was actually a pretty good preparation coach mm-hmm. uh, to coming in coming into the first round, but there there's some coaches who that's not their their main strength, right? And maybe that's Dave Tippett is he's better at the grind than he is at the the intense preparation coming into a team because the Oilers didn't look ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a better second period, but the first period they were off. Yeah, I mean, like I looked at the shot total. I was watching, I guess, the other American games while um, that first period was happening. I think the shot total was like very low between both teams. Yeah, it was a six to six, I think. Yeah, after, like the, the, first end, after the first Very period. Very boring. Yeah, I was gonna you say. You definitely feel the lack of energy compared to the American mm-hmm. games where there's fans in the building, right? Like we talked about this on the last podcast. It changes things. It does, and I I noticed it immediately because you had the piped in um, crowd noise, which is mm-hmm. not as obviously not as it. yeah, <laughs> it's not as organic. You don't get the same fire um, as you do with the live crowd. I think did I see that Montreal is going to be allowing fans in next week? Yeah, as of May 28th. Yeah. So the Canadians have to make it to game six, which is a bit of a long shot. I was going to say. Yeah, we, we can uh, we can flip transition. the script to that Yeah, because I think we said all we can about the Oilers. I don't know in terms of like, I don't think they're going to be any lineup changes, but I think they do need to be better prepared, get their power play working. Mike Smith needs to lock it down a little bit more, at least just be average, because he was a 900 goalie um, in yeah. game one, and that's not going to be good enough against Connor Hellebuck. You just need to at least be average, and the team needs to be up there in terms of scoring and stuff. But yes, yeah, so we can flip around to the um, Canadians Maple Leaf series, which we're going to talk a lot about with Rachel Dory um, when we get to her interview um, coming up soon. But that is definitely the hotly anticipated series for Canada, hotly anticipated probably for a lot of hockey fans too, just because of all the talk that's been coming out about this series and about, you know, the Maple Leafs uh, panic, like the fans panic and stuff like that. So um, what are you looking forward to, Andrew, for this series? I'm looking forward to seeing what Carey Price shows up. Like, mm-hmm. I think if we see the Carey Price that showed up in last year's playoffs happen again, 
that that's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That says something about like the regular season is just not a focus for him anymore. <laughs> and uh, that that's you know kind of the the load management style thing that older players have to get accustomed to in the NHL. Um, if you know if he doesn't show up, if the Leafs just blow him out of the building, then obviously the series is going to be over very quickly. Uh, I mentioned uh, I think last week on the podcast that a lot of people are focusing on Jake Allen as being a better option than Price because he had better overall numbers during the season. But uh, second half of the season, Jack Allen was not, or Jake Allen was not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he wore down, especially when he was forced to be the number one goaltender. Uh, so it was it's, it's a little bit tough for for him. I think he's a very very good backup or like one B goaltender. But mm-hmm. as soon as he has the load all on him, he starts to falter. Whereas Price has to be the guy, yeah, and that, that's when he excels. So it, it's, a, it's a good situation when they're both healthy and on their games. That hasn't been the case for a lot of this season uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. So I, I am interested to see which Carey Price shows up. I think that's the most interesting thing going into game one because the Canadians have decided to shoot themselves in the foot mm-hmm. and scratch all their young kids. Yeah, and... I don't understand that decision. I know oh we talked goodness. about it with Rachel a bit, so we'll get more into that um, later in this episode. But that was a very head-scratching decision. I don't necessarily, I don't really get it, and I'm not sure what the point is, especially if you're going to have young players, get them playoff experience. It'll be helpful to them in the future. Um, to me, I'm really interested to see who scores the first goal in this yeah. game because if it's the Canadians... Do the Maple Leafs start to panic? Do the mental start to get to them a little bit? And obviously this team is different. Like it's a li- a constructed a little bit differently in terms of like the pieces around the core. But I will be interested to see what happens if the Maple Leafs face a little bit of adversity because I know that like the fans are all like in their heads about the series and for good reason. Um, like I get that. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'll be interested to see who scores that first goal. And if it's not Toronto, how do they respond in game one? They're not going to have fans to back them up here. They're going to be playing, you know, just in a regular building with no fans. So they're not going to have like the crowd to rely on in terms of momentum. They're going to have to find it from themselves. But I think that it's going to be like Toronto's game to lose here because I, they have all these expectations, but their offense is just so good. They've got so much firepower. We've talked about how the team is this be- the best iteration of this Maple Leafs team we've seen in a very, very long time. So I think they're going to come out and not dominate game one, but I think they're going to, you know, I guess maybe put the talk to bed, like, to bed just a little bit about their, like, you know, Maple Leafs, like, mentality, like the whole thing surrounding the team and the fan base. But I will be interested to see if, you know, Montreal scores the first goal, what happens and how do they respond? Yeah, I wonder if like because the Leafs have shaken off first goals pretty easily in this in this season. I wonder if it's more a situation where, say, the Leafs get out to an early two nothing lead, but then they blow it and lose. Mm, that's I think also that's true. when the question marks start popping up in their heads. But I, I don't know. I think they have enough veterans there. Yeah, they they can kind of shake those feelings. I don't think this is a team anymore that feels like they're doomed to lose. Mm-hmm. I think they have that swagger. Uh, now I guess fans just want to see that though in the playoffs so we can talk all yes. we want about this but if in the playoffs it doesn't show up then what does it matter but well and I think everyone wants to see like everyone who is cheering for the Leafs wants to see them overcome adversity too mm-hmm. right like if they just dominate this series and it's a, a four game sweep it's almost not satisfying like I'm sure everyone every Leafs fan will be very happy that'd be amazing to be able to you know shove it in every Canadian's fans <laughs> face for a very long time but I, I think 
seeing the Maple Leafs conquer adversity would mean a lot to that fan mm-hmm. base, right? Come back from, uh, you know, like a, a series deficit or have some tight games, some overtime wins. I think they want, they need to feel that in order to be confident about this team. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what this team is made of because this is the probably the best opportunity that they've ever had to make it far in the playoffs with the North Division not really having any other contenders other than the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for this series, and uh, the only person who's more excited for the playoffs than me is Nazem Kadri. <laughs> He's so excited to get out of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All right. Well. Again, again, suspending yeah, himself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's got an in-person hearing scheduled for his hit to the head. I know. It's, yeah. I mean, that's probably a different topic for another day because we've got a really nice and pretty lengthy interview with Rachel Dory coming up. Um, and you guys are really going to want to listen to this. We go in from talking about, you know, analytics to like the playoffs as a whole and some of the teams in it. And then we spend a bunch of time talking about, you know, Montreal and the and uh, Toronto's upcoming series. So um, coming up next, we're going to get to that interview right after this. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models of cars, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a, chain tradi- in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brands his warehouse happens to carry? With rockauto.com, you have access to their auto parts at home and on your computer and in your pocket on your phone. rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there, how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com welcome back to the crosscheck nhl show i'm here with mary clark i'm andrew berkshire and we're here with special guest rachel dory how you doing i'm doing well how are you guys we're doing good uh i am really excited to talk to you rachel for those of uh people that don't know rachel dory used to work for the new jersey devils in hockey operations she is a hockey genius she's just a kid and she's already (laughs) had an nhl job she is, uh, you know, she, before she was working with the Devils, she was working with the Maple Leafs off and on on uh, doing. I remember there were some articles written about how she was the mysterious person out on their morning skates out with like uh, Daryl Belfry and all the skills coaches. How did you get into this? I know that I know your story is that you've just been laser focused from the time that you were a little child. But uh, where? what was your foot in the door? Um, my honestly, a uh, huge credit to Dave Matzos. Um, so I went to school in Sudbury for sports business. I would not recommend just like voluntarily going to Sudbury. Not going to lie to you. The winters <laughs> suck. Um, but they needed a video coach. And, um, so I knew someone with the wolves and because I was in the SPAD program, we had a lot of connections. And so I said like, okay, like I'll apply. And so I went for an interview and I was super upfront. I said, listen, like, I don't know how to cut video, but I promise you, I will have it down pat within the like within the hour, and it'll be fine for the first game. Um, I know my stuff when it comes to hockey. I can understand um, analytics and statistics, and I can help explain them to you. Um, and I'm just like I'm really willing to learn. All I all I need is a chance. And Matos was like, "I love it. Perfect. You're in." Um, it was unpaid, 
because the owner was like, I'm not paying her. She's a girl. That is actually verbatim what he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then like Dave would pay me um, on like, he would give me cash every game because he's like, that's not fair. Like we've paid everybody else. So he paid me and on road trips, he always made sure like I had lunch or like I had food for the bus, like took really good care of me. So I, I owe a ton to Dave Matzos and Barclay branch. Um, they gave me my first opportunity with the Sudbury wolves um, and have like Dave, people have called Dave even like recently about me and he's had nothing but good things to say and I mean it's been like six seven years now and he doesn't have to do that but he does and so I'm really appreciative of that and he gave me my chance and that kind of um that's how I got my foot in the door that's really awesome yeah it's nice to have somebody who's there and willing to like champion you and I think everybody needs that unless you're you know the son of a former hockey player or a former <laughs> hockey executive, and I which think, is what most hockey people are. But I uh, think that like the best the, friends kid. Yeah, <laughs> I think it speaks to the type of person you are too. That even six, seven years later, that they're you know people will call them up and be like, "Hey, how's how's Rachel?" And they'll have only good things to say about you. So I think that reflects pretty good on you as a person, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, like I, I try and treat people like with kindness. I mean, I have gone through there's there's been a couple rough patches in my life and I was treated um like not the way that um I would want to and so the way I look at it is in every instance where I'm treated let's say like not the way I want to I try and learn from it and I go okay so if I'm ever in this position where the the roles are flipped what can I do to make sure that this person doesn't feel like the way I do right now and never once did I feel uncomfortable um, with the Sudbury Wolves in terms of being around the coaching staff. Like I pretty much operated on the like speak with spoke when spoken to, or, um, I would ask Dave, Hey, can we sit down? I, I want to learn. Um, and he was great with that, but I always kind of try and use everything as a learning experience, whether it's positive or negative, or it's like, Oh, this is something positive I can take, or, Hey, this happened to me. It wasn't necessarily great, but I can learn from it. And so that if I'm in a similar position, um, down the road, I know, um, what this feels like and it could potentially equip me um, to deal with people a little bit better and to make them um, maybe feel a little bit better than I did when I was once in those shoes. And speaking of dealing with people, uh, when you were in New Jersey, uh, you clearly grew pretty attached to Taylor Hall. Uh, we are <laughs> recording this uh, on, on Wednesday night while the Bruins game is going on. And before we recorded Taylor Hall scored a highlight real goal. Mm-hmm. And I got, a text from Rachel, <laughs> all caps, Taylor F and Hall. Uh, what is it about Taylor Hall that makes him so special? And why, why do you feel so strongly about him? Um, with Taylor, I think he has this like rap of um, he doesn't care. He's dumb. Like he's not a good teammate. And uh, like, I, I literally can't tell you an instance where there was a single problem with Taylor Hall in the dressing room. If anything, it was the opposite, which is how he ended up with a letter on his jersey. Um, he was the first player to come into my office to ask about analytics, and then it became like a routine thing to the point where I was like, I have work to do, um, <laughs> but I also am not going to kick you out because you're on your way to winning a heart trophy. Um, and he's also like, he's one of those guys where he might give off this aura that um, he doesn't care, but it's because he doesn't let stuff get to him. And I think when he does let stuff get to him, you'll see, you see what happened in Buffalo and you, you see what happened in Edmonton. And so I think he's done a lot of maturing 
Um, and he does work hard at his craft and he does care a whole bunch and he is loved by his teammates. If you look at Brad Marchand went and leapt into his arms after the OT winner, um, and even just talking to people in Boston, like the equipment guys, the trainers, they all love him. And for me, I, I mean, he just treated me with such respect. And as a woman, and I was only 22 at the time, I was very fresh faced. I was the youngest person in an NHL front office, like not the youngest woman, just like the youngest. And I never got that vibe. If anything, it was the opposite. Like there was one night where we were both out drinking in Hoboken at different places, but we happened to be leaving at the same time. And before he left, he made sure that I was getting home safely. And like, we're off the clock. Like he didn't have to do that. And so it's kind of one of those things where you could tell like he's genuinely a good person. And I think in hockey, we hear a lot of guys who are accused of very nefarious things or just people that aren't great to be around. And I can absolutely say, at least from my personal experience, that Taylor Hall is not one of them. And so I like to see people who treat people well succeed. And so that's why I cheer for Taylor. Awesome. I know that we talked to Mike Johnson, I guess about a month ago now, and yeah, it was around the trade deadline. And he was talking about Taylor Hall and how a lot of that stuff around him was just total flat out BS. And he mm-hmm. was talking, we were, we were talking about the idea of him going back to Edmonton this year, which yeah. all of us wanted to see, right. <laughs> Go back, reunite with Connor McDavid and like prove all of his doubters wrong, which unfortunately he went to Boston, which is <laughs> awful because I hate the Boston Bruins, but you know, good opportunity for Taylor. Good for him. But uh, he was mentioning that uh, him and Connor are still really good friends. So the idea that he was a bad teammate doesn't really stick with the whole captain of the Oilers over there. And (laughs) it's funny how things attach to somebody and it just keeps on going out of nowhere and there's no real proof to back it up. It seemed like even some of the, uh, you know, more vague things that were applied to Hall in Edmonton about being like a party animal or whatever it never really affected his play on the ice. I'm sure as a young kid, when he was breaking into the NHL in his early twenties, he did his fair share of partying like they all do, but everybody outs- does. Yeah. Outside <laughs> like, of the Sabres <laughs> season, like this year, where there was like no hope from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Hall's never really had his play dragged down very much. No. And if anything, like people want to say, Oh, like he's a complimentary player. And he absolutely is like, he is not going to be the premier player on a Stanley cup winning team. But anyone who says he did not physically pick up the entire New Jersey Devils franchise, strap them to his back and go, we are going to the playoffs. It just like, wasn't paying attention. I, for obvious reasons, watched every single game of that run. And I can tell you that there were many nights that most of the team did not have it. And Taylor was like, I am getting three points tonight and we will win three, two. Like it's ridiculous. Or I will score a tying goal or set up a tying goal so that we get a point to go to overtime. Um, and so of course, like these narratives follow players and it doesn't, it's not just um, Taylor Hall that they follow. They follow other players as well. And I think that what we need to understand is a person is not the same person they were when they were just breaking into the league. And they are when they were 28 and 29 years old, right? Joe Thornton is not the same person he was at 18, 19, that he is at 42 now, right? So I think we also need to be open to the fact that people can evolve and, and people can change and we need to give them the chance to show that that they've done that. And I think with Taylor Hall, it's very clear that yes, he is a fantastic complimentary player and yes, he has evolved as a player. Like he's not just that one dimensional guy that has this rep of, of being a party animal that doesn't really care. Do you think, I, I mean, I know we're still kind of early in you know the playoffs and stuff, but do you think, considering what he did in the regular season with Boston and 
how he's, you know, really shown off so far in the playoffs a few games in. Do you think that he's going to come back to Boston and resign? Do you think he's, I guess, found his forever home as, you know, uh, pet uh, pet owners would call it? <laughs> I, I would say um, I would not be remotely surprised if he returned to Boston. Um, <laughs> you notice I'm phrasing that very <laughs> carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get caught saying it's a slam dunk. Um, I also don't. I know that people know that I have a natural connection to Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would, if I were a betting person, which I am, um, <laughs> I would be betting on Boston next year is where he is. That's it's, it's a unless he bet. allows Darren Ferris, who is somehow still his agent to mess it up for the <laughs> second season in a row, which I'm not Darren sure Ferris, that I would oh be man. doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it would we, be a good fit for him as you were about to say, Andrew, it really yeah, would be. I mean, it's a great fit playing behind Marshawn, right? Where he can kind of have all the the latitude in the world to essentially be himself and not be the guy who's always depended on. He's the guy who surprises teams and takes over games anyway. But uh, moving on from Hall, because I don't want to get stuck on him for too long. I think we could do a whole (laughs) podcast on Taylor Hall. Uh, Rachel talking about Taylor Hall? No. <laughs> I know, right? I'm sure that there hasn't been many Staff and Graph podcasts to uh, yeah, talk between about Between him Taylor and Severson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Severson, another big one. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because you're like a tactical person, right? Uh, the Minnesota Wild this year, very solid team, but to me, probably not a cup contender, whereas the Vegas Golden Knights, very clearly a cup contender. Why are the Wilds so tough? against the Golden Knights. It seems like that's their one team that's been kryptonite all season long. Um, so I think a lot of people see the high-flying Vegas that they that was in the first year, and they kind of assume that Vegas is that way now. And I think Vegas is not that. Um, I mean, like, quite honestly, Vegas has been kind of boring this season. Um, also, Minnesota, I mean, up until this year, they were basically unwatchable because they were so goddamn boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had one player basically be like, I am going to physically make sure that we are no longer boring. And they've made a fan out of Dom Lustrician, which he likes fun hockey. So, I mean, okay. Um, I think the reason the Wild are kryptonite is because they still have that low event mentality, but now they know that they can catch teams in transition. So they're so effective because they know they can sit back and defend well. Like that's just a identity of being a part of the Minnesota wild, but now they have the guns so that when they do catch you making a mistake, they could capitalize on it. And I think that's made teams a little bit more leery and a team like Vegas, who is playing much more low event hockey than they were in their first year, where it was like all like run and gun and, they're buzzing around and they're playing a swarm style. Um, they're a little bit more methodical now and they're trying to out wild the wild. And I don't know if anybody can out wild the wild. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So this is kind of the difference of a Gerard Gallant coaching style versus Peter DeBoer, right? I mean, I don't think anybody would accuse any DeBoer team of making it appointment viewing on, on television, right? And no. <laughs> Nobody has ever made that accusation. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like that's one of those kind of issues that a lot of teams get caught up in a little bit is that when things don't work out perfectly right away, uh, they go away from what makes them special a little bit too quickly. And I wonder if the Vegas Golden Knights have done that. I don't think they're, you know, doomed to to lose. Obviously, they've tied their series, but I wonder if they've lost a little bit of what made them so special and, and such a fascinating team to watch those first couple of years in going full on DeBoer. 
Yeah. And I also think they kind of like, I don't think they thought they were going to be as good as they were that first year. I don't think anybody thought that. Um, especially when you're putting together like a band of misfit toys. Yeah. Um, and I think that really accelerated it. And I think Bill Foley kind of got like raw, raw. And that's how they ended up with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone and nearly Eric Carlson and uh, Alex Petrangelo. So I think they kind of went from this brand of a bunch of guys who are playing so well because they, they want to prove everybody wrong to a bunch of guys like Mark Stone should already have a selfie trophy. Like it's criminal <laughs> that he doesn't. Um, you've got Petrangelo who was routinely in the Norris conversation for a while. You've got Max Pacioretty who's their leading goal scorer. So their identity has kind of changed a little bit, but I think with the players that they have now, they would benefit from playing that run and gun style because they have more guys who can score. So it's almost like they aren't being coached to tap out their potential, which has kind of been an issue for Peter DeBoer coached teams. Like they play well and they're successful, but they never quite hit their potential. And I think it's because there's less, uh, he's less adaptable um, when it comes to the personnel he has. And so um, I think that's a huge issue for Vegas. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with one more question before (laughs) we go to break. Do you have a first round upset pick? Um, Minnesota. <laughs> Convenient. We were just talking Perfect. about them. <laughs> and we know exactly yeah. why now. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back at you queuing up the most anticipated playoff series in Canada in many, many years in, right after this. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the, plus the occasional limited time flavor? If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out, as you've got coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. There's something for everyone with Built Bar. And if you, haven't, if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box, where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Built Bar is great for any health-conscious person, as you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Most of the flavors have 17 grams protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams sugar, only four grams net carbs. A couple of the other flavors have 18 grams protein, just 180 calories, just five grams sugar, and five grams net carbs. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. I know I'm definitely looking forward to when we get our Built Bar boxes. I'm looking forward to that mint brownie or the peanut butter brownie. Very big fan of those. And all the bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So, uh, Rachel, obviously there's uh, this super anticipated series up here in Canada, the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm excited to watch McDavid. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think everyone's excited to watch McDavid tear the the Jets to smithereens because I think we all expect that to happen. I think honestly, though, because like the Jets are super deep, like up front. I think that Edmonton's third and fourth lines are going to get like destroyed. They will. But (laughs) McDavid is like, well, I will also score 17 points. So too bad. This is essentially what I expect. I mean, we saw it in the regular season where for the first mm-hmm. few games between the Canadians and, and the Oilers, uh, there's like so much media around like, oh, the Canadians have shut down Connor McDavid. He only has like two points in six games. And in the last and three games happened? between them, he was like, uh, <laughs> I'm going to score 10 points in three games. Yeah. Was just like, okay. All right. <laughs> he literally went from zero to a hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way he ended the season, like Mary and I have talked about this before. Yeah. It was insane. 
Like, yeah. I think so, he had something like 36 points in the last 12 like games, or 13 11 games. or 12 games or something like that. It was ridiculous. So it's so funny. Um, Andrew, I think I've told you this just kind of like on text, but like I am friends with Hit- McDavid's best friend. Like mm-hmm. we're childhood friends. And this guy lives at McDavid's house like during the season. And he told me in like December, January timeframe, like this guy's going to put up a hundred points this year. I'm like, there's no way there's only 56 <laughs> games. Like absolutely not. And then he goes, do you want to bet? I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to bet against McDavid. That's <laughs> very silly, but I also don't think he's going to get a hundred points. And then I texted him when he got a hundred points and his response to me was, don't worry. There's another level for the playoffs. I'm like, how is Jeez. there another level? Like that's oh, legal. That's I'm not allowed. so I'm so excited to watch him. I mean, That's it's going to be yeah, it's going to be late nights and stuff like that, but it is going to be well worth it. I'm super excited to see him, you know, shoot the lights out in Winnipeg. And yeah, oh boy, sure. <laughs> I, I need it like inject. And I honestly and this is kind of jumping ahead. Hockey fans need an Edmonton Toronto series because they play in different conferences in non pandemic times. Mm-hmm. We are so rarely going to ever be able to see this. So just for the purpose of like growing the game and attracting new fans, you need Matthews and McDavid to play each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it would be massive for the sport in Canada, which I think honestly needs a bit of a push because the, it's not like the sport is dying in popularity, but it seems like it's a little bit stagnant b- between uh, like signups because the sport has become so uh, expensive. And then I was going to say at the demographics like, uh... of people watching the sport and it's, it gets older every year, you know, like the younger people are gravitating more towards like the Raptors. So I think hockey really needs that. No, no, I can't blame them at all. Like the NHL has just flat out not tried to push the game in Canada. They are not in or like in marketing it. at all. Yeah, none. You know, they just expect what it is to marketing. Work. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you guys say that, considering, you know, I live in the United States and the hockey is just not talked about here. I mean, it will likely change considering, you know, the ESPN deal and all that, but it's just really fascinating to hear you guys talk about the differences between, you know, how it's marketed in the can in Canada versus the U S yeah. It's I just think the in, NHL, in the, US, the no NHL idea. tries to push the game, but it, their marketing is terrible. And in, mm-hmm. in Canada, it's like the media's job to sell the game. Okay. You know, whereas like individual teams will do stuff, but like the actual NHL, like it was, it took like the, the Canadian team something like 10 years to convince the NHL to try one outdoor game in Canada. Whereas the, the, uh, the games in the U S they had like the stadium series in like California mm-hmm. the Herod- or the uh, winter classic. So there's like stuff like that that is like build some consternation up here. But I think this could be a, a big uh, inflection point for growing the game amongst the, like a younger population. So uh, the Maple Leafs and Canadians, obviously the series that I think Canada is super hyped for, I think it means a lot more to the Maple Leafs than it does for the Canadians, just based <laughs> on where the two teams are in their like respective uh, builds. But uh, I think one thing that's kind of sticking out to a lot of people who are looking at this series is the Leafs obviously have way more high end talent. Like it's not even close, but for some reason they are, their power play is awful. What What's wrong with their power play, Rachel? Is it something that can be fixed in a short-term series like this? Is, is it something that might come alive and kill the Canadians or is there something tactically that they're doing wrong? No, I, I think it, it can be fixed. They're shooting 2% over the last like month and a half. And like, I know you guys pay attention to stats and all three <laughs> of us know that that is like, frankly, not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other thing, and, and I will, I have no issue saying this. I was wrong. So at the beginning of the year, the Leafs were running two balanced units. So they had Matthews and Marner on one unit and they had Tavares and Nylander on the other. And I was like, what are like, what is going on? 
just load up the power play and call it a day. Tell them they need to stay out there for a minute and 45 seconds and just call it a day, right? But they were scoring on those balanced units, and I think it was because they had different looks. The soon, as soon as they started to load it up and, and, and try to do that, it became like there wasn't enough puck to be shot. There wasn't enough shot chances. Obviously, you want Matthew shooting the puck. Like, I don't really think that is a debate. Um, but there weren't enough shots to go around. And that's a that's a problem when you when you have guys, because then you have guys that want to get their shots in, and then they end up taking suboptimal shots, and there isn't this appetite for puck recovery. And that's a huge issue. The other thing is entries. And the Leafs have been exceptionally frustrating with that because when they loaded up the top unit, there were multiple guys that could do entries and nobody was ever on the same page. Whereas when guys are separated, you know that on unit one, it's Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, and on unit two, it's William Nylander, right? And so I think everyone kind of knows what they're doing. Um, you get different looks. It's harder to scout. And I also think the addition of Rasmus Sandin um, is going to be huge because he is by far their best puck distributor at the top of the power play. Um, and I don't even think it's very close. Uh, his ability to put the puck in guys' wheelhouses to freeze penalty killers and then make a play. Um, I remember watching him in the OHL. Like It was unbelievable what he was able to do. And so I think that injection will help. I also don't think it's realistic to think that Austin Matthews and co are going to shoot 2% on the power play. So um, if they could get their entry sorted out, I think the Habs are going to have a tough time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is that the Canadians are going to take penalties because their defensive strategy is essentially to cross-check everyone. So they'll probably <laughs> get away with a lot more in the playoffs. Get called but... in the playoffs. This is true. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I've talked to a yeah. few Leafs fans that are a little bit worried about what uh, like Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson are going to be able to get away with. And Shea Weber. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I, mean, I was, gonna, I was in, about to even, say. If Andrew. he's playing, right? Because he's got his, uh, his fingers still in a splint, right? So the, he's like, technically the... practicing, but he hasn't shot yet. So I don't even know why they would even bother putting him in the lineup. But uh... but it's like one of those things where in the playoffs, which is your best hockey, your most important hockey, you should want to call the rule book because nobody yes. comes to see 17 cross tracks. I yeah. come to watch McDavid score a bi- like just a billion goals. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. That's what Preaching I can to the choir on this yeah, podcast. Right? So <laughs> I was going like, to say, what is like, it, they should be afraid that um, like Lee fans should be afraid that their guys are going to get cross-checked because if you give Ben Sherratt or Joel Edmondson, the opportunity to rupture William Nylander's spleen, like they're probably going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I hope that there's enough nastiness in the series to really ignite the rivalry, but not enough so that it becomes an embarrassment. That's like the, the big issue with the NHL is treading that line. Right. And they don't know, you know, how, how to keep it, you know, on that line. Essentially, yeah, you just- The NHL has <laughs> never not once this season allowed an egregious after the play thing to go unpunished. Not, not even a single time for just, no. I can hear it's, it's Tom Wilson. It's Tom Wilson. Yeah, exactly. The unspoken words, the unspoken words. Absolutely. They definitely have everything under control. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, you have to toe that line between, you know, keeping players safe, but you also want the playoff intensity. I mean, we saw, uh, the Florida lightning series, just how intense that was when like you get oh. those like, you know, moments of like scoring, but also like it was just intense all around. And you want something like that. That's how you want every playoff game to be. Yeah. yeah and, and I, and I want like, that intensity. Around. I don't want somebody to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. 
It, it, I mean, clearly the line on that game was drawn as well with the Sam Bennett hit, which I actually missed that mm-hmm. like during the actual broadcast of the game because I was flipping around watching different uh, different games, which I, is sacrilege when you think about it, how great that first game was. <laughs> but uh, I missed that Sam Bennett hit. And mm-hmm. when I saw it, I was like, what the hell is going <laughs> on here? That's awful. Only one yeah. game, which I know is par for the course of the NHL. Surprised it wasn't a $5,000 fine, the maximum allowable under the Honestly, CBA. Mikey mm-hmm. on our podcast said it best. It's not the Department of Player Safety. It's the Department of Player Endangerment, which I then realized is an acronym for DOPE, which is, <laughs> seems to be what is who is running the department. Yeah. No, I think I think we're gonna have to steal that. I'm sorry, Rachel, but I think we're gonna have to steal that. Uh, the that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we we talked about the the uh, Maple Leafs power play, the Canadians power play, similarly pretty terrible, but uh, I think a little bit different than the, than the Leafs in that they don't really get the chances either. They were a lot better with Shea Weber out, which a lot of people were calling for the whole season long. Uh, they seem to defer to Weber and go for the big shot far too often, which my continual thought was you don't blame Weber for that, that they're continually deferring to him. He's still a power play weapon. It's other players who have too much respect for him and think that that's their best option. And perhaps the coaching staff also pushing it. But uh, even if Weber can't shoot, and it seems like he's not on the power play at the moment in terms of the practice lines, is there a situation where they can fix their power play or do they just not have the weapons? Uh, yes, and it starts with maybe dressing Cole Caulfield. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask. I was about is to ask. Madness. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, don't get me. I obviously want the Habs to lose, even though I am literally related to a Richard. <laughs> like, I want them to lose. Um, and even I was like, okay, like I want the Habs to lose, but by not playing him, you're essentially throwing in the towel. Because you know you're not going to be able to outscore Toronto. Like, there is nobody on earth that's going to sit here and say, Montreal Canadiens are able to keep up with the racehorses of the Leafs. Like, no one is going to say that. But at some point, you're going to get in a sludge fest where it's 1-1 or 2-2 or 2-1, and you need a goal. Cole Caulfield, far and away, gives you the best chance to do that. And special teams in the postseason because they are they happen so few and far between they're massive and if you can have a guy who has literally scored at every level including the nhl like it's a no-brainer to have him in the lineup and if your comeback is well he's young and he's not really ready for playoff hockey he still scores and this is how you get him ready for playoff hockey yeah, you gotta play him sometimes especially yeah. in a series where you're not expected to win that's the exactly. craziest thing for me like let what, him gain the experience like we did with suzuki yeah. yeah i'm glad we're all in agreement here i don't know why we wouldn't have been in agreement but it's just madness to me that I they're mean, going this route if we had somebody on going in the towel if yes, we had um, somebody on who was actually advocating for keeping Cole caulfield out i would hang up on the zoom call <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, just but here's like, the other thing okay so you talk about fixing the power play right so you just brought up how they defer to Weber, right? And the reason why Weber hasn't been a weapon this year is because everybody knows that's coming. Yep. If you put Caulfield and Weber on the same power play and distribute to both of them, teams have to respect both shots because both guys can score, which means your attention isn't undivided anymore, right? And it's going to open up opportunities for both of them. So if you want your power play to have a shot in hell at clicking, you need to have it so that teams respect both Caulfield and Weber. And that's how you're going to open up scoring chances for both of them. Right. So that's really, if you want to get Weber shots, 
the easiest solution there is put Caulfield there and have Suzuki distribute to both of them. And then you have teams that are forced to respect both on opposite sides of the ice. It's impossible to cover. Do you think that this decision will last like just the one game and then, you know, they're going to be like, oh, we made a mistake. We made a mistake. Or do you think they're just going to hold this line forever at this point? Like, it's 100% going to depend on win or loss. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it'll be one game, though. Mm. I think it'll be I think it'll be two games. I think huh. we could see Kotkaniemi come in after game one. Um, I think we're more likely to see Kotkaniemi and Caulfield than we are to see Romanov. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it's a whole lot harder to play defense in the playoffs as a young player. Um, like it just is. And I'm surprised and, Kotkaniemi is out because he played really well oh, last too. year. Yeah, he played he really, so really good well this year. Yeah, well, and he played last year really well in the playoffs. I remember because I'm a Flyers person, so I remember last year I was like, I want to, I don't want to see any more of this kid. I was done <laughs> with him and Nick Suzuki. I was, I was like, I don't want to see any more of these kids anymore. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, were fantastic. I mean, yeah. You look at the way that the Canadians talked about Kotkaniemi this year at the end of the year when they were asking why he was out of the lineup, and uh, they were like, oh, you know, he really struggled down the stretch, which is only true in terms of finishing. Uh, his, his underlying numbers have remained pretty stellar. I was going to say, that doesn't seem true. Yeah, and the other thing is, he's been bounced around more than any prospect, like, young player that I've ever seen. Uh, like, they had him playing left wing at one point when uh, they had brought in, in the Eric minors. Stahl. Yeah, the, I mean, they did, not this year, but last year. Yeah. But it, like, he was his uh, most common line mate was Tyler Toffoli, and he played, like, 100 minutes with him. Like, that's nuts. It's... I'm studying player development and that is, that ain't it chief. Yeah. That ain't it yeah. is. That's what I could tell you. There are teams that are like Anaheim. This is not going to come as a surprise to anybody. Anaheim is the best team in the league at developing defensemen. Um, and one of the biggest things they don't do is they don't yo-yo them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you come up, you play and you're like, and you're up, you may go down once more, but they do not go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Like when they called Drysdale up, he stayed up until the end of the season and then they sent him back down for the, the AHL playoffs, right? It's none of this up and down and this and the here and there. Like this is the position you're playing. This is how we're doing it. And I think that Montreal has been guilty of a few things. They've been guilty of rushing their players and they've been guilty of yo-yoing them. Both are bad. Hmm. Yep. I'm in 100% in agreement on all of that. So speaking of the Canadians, uh, our last question for you, Rachel, is there a path to victory for this team against the Maple Leafs that isn't just Carey Price doing what he did to the Penguins last year? No. No. Well, I mean, like if Toronto's goaltending turns into a pumpkin, sure. But like even then, let's say you get league average goaltending. For, let's say you get nine, 10 goaltending from Carey Price, which I feel like is asking a lot right now. Like I would be playing Jake Allen, quite frankly. Um, and Toronto goaltending implodes. Even if you get nine, 10 goaltending, you're going to get outshot and outchanced by Toronto. And like Matthews and Marner is still going to score. So I think it's the, really the, you need two things to happen. You need Carey Price to put up a nine sixty. which I feel like is asking a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And you need Jack Campbell and Frederick Anderson to put up like 900 or less. Yeah. I mean, and you also need the power plays to like the star power. Like it's, it's too much. It's a lot to overcome, but I can hear Maple Leafs fans. Like I know we're all talking about like how things are going well for Maple Leafs fans, but I can hear them. I'm like, they're not going to be settled until 
until the series is won. Like I, I can, I can feel that from that fan base. And I know I can, t- I I've seen their Twitter. I've seen Steve Dangle and I've heard his rants. I know, I know how this like, is going to go from my perspective. And I would say like, I like to think I'm in terms of like Leafs fandom. First of all, like I've lost a lot of my fandom, but like I'm pretty level headed when it comes to like evaluations of players. Like I kind of call it like it is this guy has not been good. I'll, I've, I have no issue saying it. I've been critical of the Leafs. I've been like, I've been happy for them. As someone who, like, the first time the Leafs broke my heart was when they traded Mike Johnson. And after that, I never really trusted them, according to my father. (laughs) And then 2013 happened. I literally didn't go to school for a week. I was in my senior year, and I was like, (laughs) I I don't even have, like, the capacity to speak. I'm so heartbroken. Then you have the other two series against Boston, um, and you have the team being general trash in between those those segments so I think with Leaf fans what you have is a segment of fans that has been conditioned like socially conditioned kind of like um Ivan Pavlov (laughs) they've been conditioned to think the worst so for for me I will not believe the Leafs have won until I see the physical shaking of hands (laughs) like they could be up 4-1 4-1 with one minute left to go in the third period up whatever in the series. And I'm like, nope, that like they're going to find a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things I am damaged. Yeah. And I don't like-, like the team the way that like Dangle and like my friends do or my father does like, and I'm damaged. I'm like, no, this team is like Montreal in the past. I think I, I want to say it's like five years Dom did. Um, only three teams that have had less than a 20% chance of winning a series have won. And two of those times it was the Habs and the Leafs are cursed. <laughs> the Leafs are literally cursed. So everyone's like, Oh, of course it had to be the Habs. And they're definitely going to win now that you've tweeted that. <laughs> so like, that's how damaged people are. A part of me, you know, I mean, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan, so I, I get it on some degree just because, you know, Philadelphia sports hasn't had like a whole bunch of success. I mean, you know, you've had the Phillies and obviously the Eagles, but, you know, as a Flyers person, I've had a championship. (laughs) Yes. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's just it's so fascinating. This whole like Leafs mentality thing is incredibly fascinating to me. So you shedding light on that is just it makes so much sense. And I I, I completely get it. So which for me is like it's completely different because this is the only team that like I've ever been a fan of like because I I mean I grew up a Leafs fan I was I was born in a Leafs onesie this is the only <laughs> team I cheer for that routinely like lets me down like if you think about it I mean if you look at my Twitter feed it's very apparent that I'm a Bayern fan um Toronto FC I worked for them when they won MLS Cup I'm obviously still a fan of them um I don't really have a baseball or a football team um but the Leafs have kind of been the only team where it's like, I've been conditioned to expect the absolute worst thing that could happen. <laughs> like you, the nuclear option for me, I'm like, Oh, the Leafs are up like five, nothing in game seven. Oh my goodness. Like something's going to happen. The ice is going to melt. They're going to like, <laughs> they're going to have to call the game off and then they're going to lose in a, in a rematch. Like that is how screwed up it is. <laughs> And I don't know, like, and I've tried, like, it's my pin tweet. I've tried to say, like, don't get caught up in the minutia. Like, we don't need to be yelling. And this goes for Habs fans, too, with the exception of Caulfield. You don't need to be yelling about minutia, like, lines and pairs after game one. For the Leafs, this is the best the team has been in damn near two decades. Maybe ever. We're in the middle of a literal pandemic where everyone's life sucks. This is the one thing giving us hope. 
please do not make it a chore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. In years past, I've kind of like, I've noticed, you know, Maple Leafs fans and, and not to say they're obnoxious on social media, but they are. They, they have. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I was going to let somebody else say it and not me. And in the past, I've kind of not, I've kind of almost rooted against them because I'm like, it's almost like Penguins fans because like, the team may be fun to watch, but like the fans can be a little bit too annoying for me. But this year I'm like, okay, please. I can't stand to see the suffering anymore. Just please Maple Leafs do it for them. I can't, I need, I need this for them. I need to, I need to see them happy. <laughs> well, it's like, okay. So it'd be different if like Lee, like the, the team, like people clown on Edmonton because the, the only reason they're good is because they won lotteries. Like that's Frank, like that, that's it. They've done nothing else. In fact, they they would be horrendous otherwise. Um, whereas like the Leafs, they legitimately went out, they got a proper president. Then they brought in Lou Amarello to change the culture. They brought in Mike Babcock, who at the time was like a lauded coach. Um, right. And they completely changed the culture of the organization. They've made amends with Dave Keon. Like they've done a whole bunch of things in the community for underrepresented um, people so they're doing a whole lot of really good things. They're hiring diversely. They've got the most diverse mm-hmm. hockey operations department. Um, like, I think they're the only team that has, like, an Asian, a person of color, multiple women. Like, they, they truly do invest and promote these people. And so I think it's one of those things where a lot of people around the league are like, okay, yeah, we love clowning on Toronto fans. But at the same time, like, we need to reward the teams that are doing good things. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs are very clearly one of those teams. Carolina is another team. You need to reward and you want success for teams that are that are doing good things because you don't want to reward mediocrity like what happened with <laughs> Vancouver last year. And now we have fans that are making a protest and chartering planes to like fire Benning and make <laughs> the owners sell the team. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, thanks yeah. so much, Rachel, for, for coming on. And again, yeah. Don't reward mediocrity, reward the teams doing the right things. And that's kind of a great way to sum up this series because one team is essentially stuck in the past and stuck in mediocrity. And the other one is moving forward. And I think that maybe if the Canadians were a more entertaining team, a more tactically interesting team or even managerially interesting team be hey man mark bergevin's biceps are incredible they, that they are <laughs> they're huge he's he's very strong man don't uh <laughs> very strong <laughs> hey if this if, if the stanley cup was won on biceps he would he would be winning it he would definitely <laughs> be winning it he might be the toughest gm in the league but uh he doesn't seem to be doing the greatest job but yeah uh i think if you know things were different uh maybe there'd be more people cheering other way but i think a lot of people are in uh, toronto's corner right now because they want to see the Toronto Maple Leafs go further. They want to see entertaining hockey. They want to see Matthews versus McDavid. And I think we all do too. Yeah. I think Rachel. it's also like oh. one of those things where it's actually good for the league money wise. If yes. the Leafs are good. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody 100%. makes more money. Did you know? Yes. 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 Now, Rachel, before you go, just plug your stuff. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Rachel Dory. Um, you can find me on the staff and graph podcast. That's like my podcast. Um, I'm currently doing a master's, so I'm kind of tweeting out like little tidbits. You can find me on EP Ringside. I do a bi-weekly column there um, that's got some insider tidbits, some school tidbits, um, some player evaluation stuff. Um, so that's where you can find my work. And um, I'm looking to post a paper that I kind of teased um, about a month ago towards the end of the summer. So look out for that because it's about quantifying hockey sense. Ooh, the Very nebulous exciting. idea of hockey sense. Thanks so much, Rachel, for doing Thank this. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
And that was Rachel Dory. And coming up next, we're going to have our ending pop culture roulette segment that you guys all know and love. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you need to track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including MOB, NBA, NHL, and, on your, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. All right, Andrew, that was a that was a fun interview with Rachel. We just did. Yeah, it's fantastic. She's awesome. Yeah, high energy. Obviously, has so much love for the game. Super it, like, smart. Reads through every word that she says. Yeah, incredibly smart. Yeah, that was. I feel like I think I've said this before, but every time we have a guest on, I always learn something new, and Rachel was no exception. That was. I'd love to have her back in the future for sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I've already texted her and been like, Rachel, we're going to have you on again at some point yeah, real soon. Please. I'm I'm very excited for that. But we're going to end today with um, our new segment, our pop culture roulette. I don't know what Andrew has to talk about because he didn't write it in our doc again. <laughs> but I'm going to mention here um, something that I've talked about on my Twitter account. Um, and I know some people know me as an Overwatch person, which is a video game, a multiplayer video game. Um, I'm a big fan of the Overwatch League, which is the esports version of Overwatch. It's, you know, competitive players playing in a league. Um, and the reason why I got into it is because Philadelphia has a team. And not only do they have a team, the Philadelphia Fusion, they're owned by Comcast, the same people that own the Flyers. So they have similar branding. They are also wear orange and black. Um, at, at Flyers games, you know, had uh, like advertisements on the boards and stuff for them. They like cross promote on social media. Gritty has been a part of um, some of the Fusion's marketing in the past. Um, and all that kind of got me into the Overwatch League in general. I wasn't really an Overwatch fan until I, you know, started watching the League. And I was like, this game is kind of fun. So I guess I bought it for myself and now I play Overwatch pretty regularly. Uh, but the new uh, tournament begins this upcoming weekend. Um, and my fusion boys they are a four and so far in the league um and they have a chance to make it to the upcoming tournament the june jaffs is what they're calling it they're doing like monthly tournament cycles where they'll do they'll play like four games and then you'll have like a like a play-in to get into the tournament they missed the play-in last time for the tournament but in the regular season they're doing really well and i love them a lot um and i want success for them and i kind of feel like maple leafs fans do with the uh, with toronto because the fusion have um uh this is a season four and in the first three seasons they have um been runner-ups basically for the majority of their uh time in the overwatch league and it is it's been a bit suffering a little bit i still love them very much but you know coming in second can do something to your mentality and i do want to see a win for them at least one of these tournaments if not the whole thing um the unfortunate part is is they moved to um korea for this upcoming season um because you know korea is a little bit better of a handle on the pandemic and they've got some sort of facility there so the games are super early so i have to wake up at like 8 a.m for these games on saturday and sunday which um not very fun especially with the weekend i'm going to have coming up uh with my friend's wedding but i'm very excited to see them again i do love overwatch a lot um and i really want them to win and i do recommend checking out the overwatch league because they they've got a really interesting system where they've got it's like um very much like a sports league is set up they've got teams in different types of cities so you've got like 
Dallas, Washington, Philadelphia, Vancouver. So there's a bunch of different cities, and um, that's kind of why I like gravitated towards it because it was very it's set up very similar to a sports league. And I probably wouldn't care if there wasn't a Philadelphia team. And now I'm like all in on it. So yeah, I'm just very excited for that to come back. And I miss them, and I want them to do well. So. <laughs> Can we just mention how flyers it is to have several second place finishes? Yeah, like, I I've mentioned it on Twitter before that they're very much a Philadelphia team in yeah. and in, through like for the good and the bad. I mean, they're a very good team, but they just never seem to are able to you know put that into practice when the playoffs happen. And I know I know how very ironic it is and how very flyers it is. Um, that's kind of why I love it though. But I do want them to win um, so I can you know enjoy at least one little bit of success with this team. So, I mean, if it makes you feel better, Mary, the Flyers aren't the team in the NHL who've lost in the Stanley Cup Finals the most. <laughs> that actually That's belongs fair. to the Boston Bruins. Oh, boy. Huh. Interesting. That's good to know, Andrew. It probably makes yeah. you feel very happy, I think. I mean, it would make me feel happier if 2011 didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, it does. It is a nice thing that uh, l- nice, like little silver lining to them being so successful mm-hmm. as they keep on losing at the final a little g- grasp at the, <laughs> at the trophy. But yeah, uh, for me, I, I've been watching uh, The Handmaid's Tale as it's come out. Uh, that's pretty much it in terms of new stuff. I've been playing Pokemon Go with uh, Dylan. Because oh, nice. he realized that he could act like I was like, oh my god, he could catch a Pokemon. Aww. How 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 great is that? So we go on little Pokemon walks every night after dinner. Oh, and he so wants cute. to catch a Pokemon. And you know the, the little function where you can like choose like a Pokemon and it'll show you like whereabouts it is on the mm. map. So we like chase after it. He goes on his scooter and like scoots along. Aww. And I have to, like, run to catch him. I remember the summer when Pokemon Go first came out. It was the... It was everywhere. Yeah, it was the most peaceful summer I think we ever had. Uh, Like, I remember, like, biking around my neighborhood for things and stuff like that. I ended up stopped playing because I live in the suburbs, so it's not as, um, I guess, fun to do when you're catching the same Pokemon and all that stuff. But my dad, of of all the people in my life that still play it, my dad, as far as I'm aware, still plays it. And he knows really nothing about Pokemon. I don't know why he's into it. I I would, I could legitimately not tell you why he's into it. He doesn't like Pokemon. I think the only things he knows are from like what my sister and I have like talked about over the years because, you know, I played Pokemon growing up and I still do now. Um, But he he plays it. I think it's because he um he works in in he works in the city. Um, so maybe it gives him something to do. I don't Always really know. I, I legitimately do not know. I'll have to ask him. I just kind of have accepted it at this point with him. But it is very funny. My dad, who knows nothing about video games, plays Pokemon Go of all things. That's awesome. It I is. mean, I remember that the summer that it came out as well. There was like, you know, times where you would go downtown or whatever in like a big area where there was like five or six Pokestops mm-hmm. and there'd be like hundreds of yeah. people dropping lures and everything and it was just like crazy and you're like oh my god i don't have enough pokeballs to keep up with all the pokemon mm. everyone here yeah it was it was a fun time i haven't played in like three years but i i loaded it back up i actually lost my old account mm. it just like wouldn't connect i think it was attached to my old work email mm-hmm. and uh yeah so I, I created a new account for dylan to catch stuff and every time he'd catch one he'd be like is that yours or mine like all of these pokemon are yours <laughs> he's like, really that's so cute so, it's fun does he play like uh, any other Pokemon games, or is it just like Pokemon Go right now? He I, he doesn't really have the dexterity to work a controller mm. or a Game Boy yet. Right. So it, I think maybe next year I might because I think I have I don't remember what kind of Game Boy I have. It might be an SP. Mm. I don't know. I I I have some sort of one that can connect to the internet. And my younger brother told me that I can download 
some of the older Pokemon games yeah. from there. So I'll, I'll I'll do that for him as soon as he can figure out like pressing a button makes you walk kind of. I'm thing. sorry. Do you have a Switch in your household? No. Okay, because I was gonna say like if you do, they have a they have you know. Pokemon, what is it? Let's go, Eevee and Pikachu, which are basically, you know, um, red and blue remakes, um, just with like a different things, like and, like the Pokemon Go catching mechanic, and then you've got like Sword and Shield and whatnot, which I played, um, and I enjoyed. So if you ever get around to getting a Switch, I know that um, there's some, you know, more modern Pokemon games in there, so I'd recommend at least Sword and Shield. I know some people aren't a big fan of the um, the weird catching mechanic and let's go Pikachu and Eevee, but there are really cute games to look at and kids won't care about that kind of stuff anyway. So yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the bias that we would yeah, have. Exactly. Up yeah. He's not going to know and he's not going to care. He's just gonna be like, it's Pikachu, but you know what? Exactly. Fair enough. Like I completely understand that too. So yeah. I mean, you got to give it to Pokemon that, uh, especially with the anime coming out that all the Pokemon pretty much say their own names. It's just smart marketing. Yeah, it is. It is very smart marketing. And I think I think that's all we've got for you today. Unless you have anything else you want to share, Andrew. Nope, we're good. All right. Can't wait for next week. Yeah, same. We'll have a lot, a lot more games to talk about and uh, more of the Canadian teams will have played. And at that point, all of the teams will have played. So we'll, you know, have more to, um, I guess, analyze. And we'll see, you know, how the Maple Leafs do um, in their first game like we've talked about. But that is all we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL Show. as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure to follow us on your podcast platform of choice from Apple to Odyssey to Spotify and rate and review us while you're at it. You can follow the pod at Crosscheck NHL on Twitter, me at Mary C. Clark on Twitter, and Andrew at Andrew Berkshire on Twitter. We'll be back on Tuesday with some more Puck Talk. See you next time. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Pukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.